from the Pictures Out There studios. Welcome to the Pictures Out There podcast series with Dave Fogelman and Lee Stewart. Pictures Out There ties the future to the present and is a new approach for vision and action toward a better future. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Hi, this is Dave. And this is Lee. And welcome to our latest podcast in the Pictures Out There podcast series. Okay, let's talk about the I in our three P's, picture, perspectives, process, and an I model. The I is ideals. As we have shared before, ideals is a beautiful word. It suggests ideas and it suggests change. It also suggests trying to aspire to be our very best selves. It suggests aspirations we try to meet but may never perfectly attain. It's a future-looking word that, in conjunction with the action of process, describes a beautiful how for our pictures. So, Dave, we often refer to ideals in some of our important U.S. government documents, for example. Think about the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or the Declaration of Independence. The ideals reflected in those documents are an aspiration. The how that described our hope-for behaviors our hope for actions, and the ways we needed to optimize our way of lives for our society. So it should be a normal, desirable, and I would say a necessary thing to describe mm-hmm. ideals as part of a picture. Not just the what, but also, very importantly, the how. And lots of times, what we end up remembering and valuing the most in our life's activities isn't actually the what we do, as much as the how we do it. Lee, that that just absolutely rings true. So here we're going to present our first new ideal that we will put forward for our best future as a human society. It's about a beautiful balance that we can strike with loving our commonality as human beings and similarities with all human beings, and at the same time, loving our individual uniqueness and differences as human beings equally at the same time balanced. We're going to call this common uniqueness, Mm. or you could call it we're the same and we're unique, and hooray for that. (laughs) Common uniqueness. Well, life calls us to see the uniqueness that is in each and every one of us. We need to recognize it, to embrace it, cherish it. We need to celebrate it. Life also calls us to see the commonality that exists in all of us, Mm -hmm. to recognize that commonality, embrace it, cherish it, and celebrate it also. Mm -hmm. With that beautiful uniqueness, there's no one exactly like us. Now, that can be a little scary. We may fear that we're all alone or that we will be alone. It's a big world, but it's really true. There is no one exactly like us. Us. No one. And how amazing that at the same time that this uniqueness is true for each of us, there's that beautiful commonality, commonality. in all of us, you know, that, that's almost incomprehensible. There's so many people out there, 8 billion plus at this point, that we don't know, and they're strangers, you know, or what we label as strangers. Mm-hmm. Do we really have so much, almost everything in common with all? all of them? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, yes, we yes. do. You know, so in between these two very important constant realities of our commonality and our uniqueness, 
our actual day-to-day -day focus often tends to be on neither of those constant and critical realities that we're calling out here today. Instead, lots of times, our, or most of the time, our day-to-day -day focus is frequently on the unique, ongoing communities of caring that we've already talked about. We discussed earlier in the podcast series and that we discuss in the book. Now, this is very important. Let's understand this. These smaller communities that are our communities of caring, they're made up of family, friends, and people that we actively care about from day to day or groups that we belong to. They're very important. They're, they're part of being human. They're a stepping stone in how we connect with all other people. They're a stepping stone in how we develop our individual identities. They are deeply meaningful, and they're valued connections in our lives. So we just want to underscore that point. But, you could feel the but coming, couldn't mm -hmm. you? They can deflect or dilute our daily focus on our own uniqueness, our individual uniqueness. And they can deflect or dilute our sense of commonality with all people around the globe if we are not careful. Keyword there, we must be careful. So Dave, I'd like to share with our listening audience uh, a framework, if you will, from uh, research that arises from a fellow named Dave Logan and two of his scholarly colleagues. You may have heard of a book that was published about 10 or 12 years ago called Tribal Leadership. And in it, Dave Logan and his colleagues talk about how people form tribes. Mm -hmm. Just as birds fly and as fish swim, Human beings form tribes. We always have, that's just what we do. It's part of our humanity. It's part of our humanity. It's literally part of our DNA makeup mm -hmm. as social beings. Mm -hmm. Logan and his colleagues described that we kind of sort out as human beings into five tribes. Tribal stage one really is sad. That's the culture of gangs. Mm. It's the culture of prison. Mm -hmm. It's where individuals who've had such a difficult lot in life that they basically sever systematic relationships with everyone else. Mm -hmm. Their attitude is just one of despairing hostility. They'll do anything to survive. When we get to stage two, that becomes a little bit more commonplace. Still not where we want to be as a member of that tribe. Because the prevailing worldview there is, we're not to blame for anything. We refuse to take accountability for our own beliefs mm. and actions. It's a culture of self-victimization. Mm. Now, stage three, as Logan says, hits close to home for most of us. Because in that tribal stage, the prevailing belief is, I'm great, and you're not. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm going to compete with you. I'm going to compete with you for resources, for attention, for whatever it may be, but there can be a commonality there. Organizations that have a lot of tribal stage three people can do great things and achieve great successes, but what leaves it a little bit short of nirvana is that there's a competition at the basis of it. And as we've talked about on other topics, if that notion is an addiction to competition or competition is your reason, reason for being there's an assumption in that in that whole thought process that there are winners and losers. Yes. And so the attempt is to be a winner, which inevitably means other people are losers. That's correct. Even if your mindset is one of being a benign win winner, it still occurs. Right. Now, tribal stage four, to finish this model off, is called We Are Great. And that's where tribes come together, bands of people come together to say, we are grateful and fortunate to be in these circumstances and we'll do whatever it takes to perpetuate this for the future. 
And then at the top of the pyramid there in tribal stage five are individuals who are leading enlightened and enriched lives Mm -hmm. and giving back to the world communities as they can. So I think the moral of the story around tribal leadership is that we all form tribes, just as birds fly and fish swim. We form tribes. We need to be vigilant and sensitive to the tribal influences from those that we are part of. And it sounds to me in that model that you're describing that the stage four and stage five each described that that uh, we are one tribe. They describe the commonality right. with all people. And then stage five is that loop back to the individual. That's correct. And again, the uniqueness that we're talking about here. So that model seems to be a very good fit to, to the concepts we're describing here. So the powerful influences of these smaller communities of caring that we belong to, they typically guide and mold us in critical ways throughout our lives. That cannot be underscored enough. Again, they can be a wonderful source of good things. They can give us affirmation individually. They can make us feel secure. And they can be a springboard to helping us grow. Mm -hmm. But we have to be careful. The influences of our smaller communities of caring have the potential to distract us from a clear and constant appreciation of our global community and our individual uniqueness. Instead of fully and daily embracing those two constants of commonality and uniqueness and giving ourselves a chance to become fully comfortable with them as our primary and habitual way of looking at life on a day-to-day basis, we may ignore them or just not think about these two ultimate truths as much as we could or should. As a result, we may not incorporate those critical truths, those critical realities into our daily lives, into our daily decisions, our daily actions and reactions. Well, as we discussed before, at any point in time, we have a personal identity. We have a uniqueness. And that identity is reinforced through our communities of caring, which is typically made up of our family members and friends, maybe a team or an organization we belong to or work with, people with whom we have common interests, faiths, cultures, etc. Now, if we're asked, we can name those communities that are the most important to us and with whom we identify. These communities are an important part of being human because... As we stated before, we are social animals. These communities can be good and they can do great things. So before we talk about some of the pitfalls or the potential places where this, these ongoing communities of caring can maybe send us off in a not so good direction, let's talk about all the positive and supportive elements uh, of these groups or, or the potential that they have. So These groups have the potential to be a supportive engine for our unique individual expression, one of those two key things, in uh, some really cool ways. So let's give a couple of examples here. Say that I've moved to a new place, moved to a new city, and I join a very positive and open circle, new circle of friends. And that circle of friends makes me feel welcome. They're interested in me. Uh, not just to see if I fit within the group, but they really want to know me, the individual me. And so I have this re-emphasis and accent on my individuality that feels good, that's true. And I also have joined a circle that's help, helping me acclimate to a new community. I uh, will give another example here. I want to learn something new. Maybe it's a new skill or knowledge. And so I join, a, again, a positive and open group of people that have that same interest. And they give me confidence that I can acquire the new skill or the new knowledge. And in that context, they want to, again, learn about me. 
if our groups have effects like this on us, that's a, that's a very positive reinforcement of this common uniqueness ideal that we're putting forward today. Yes. So our groups have the potential to be a supportive engine, if you will, for our sense of commonality with all humanity. And they can support inclusion and connection with all other people. Uh, here's a couple of examples to illustrate that. Suppose I have an interest in an issue or an opportunity in my smaller community, my immediate community. Maybe in my hometown, maybe. Right, or in a team or organization that I'm a part of. Yep. And I join a positive and very open local group that wants to address that issue or opportunity. And in the course of my engagement and activities with them, I learn that the same issue or opportunity exists maybe in other parts of our state or our region or our country. Or my continent, hey, maybe in the world itself, my sense of community just got dramatically expanded. There's examples like if you joined a local group that's interested in some element of dealing with climate change. Usually there's networks out to other organizations or other parts of that same organization nationally. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. It is. So I may join a new work group that is open and positive. And in the course of the work that we do together, I might meet people from places or backgrounds that are new to my experience. And I learn from those people. And guess what? That broadens my sense of the world. And it makes me more comfortable with meeting other new people from different places and backgrounds. And I think you and I have both had corporate experiences with that, where you will move around to different groups within a company. And that can be as long, again, as it's not creating a competitive situation that's destructive within that company. It's a great experience. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you get to work with people from backgrounds and experiences that you never would have previously. Mm Mm-hmm. So if our groups have effects like this on us, they are a positive reinforcement of our common uniqueness ideal. However, but... (laughs) So let's talk about the however. And and we're going to ask you along with us, because certainly in, in writing this portion of the book, and in conversations that Lee and I have had in preparing for the podcast, we've had a lot of conversations around some of this, the reflection on this being difficult. And so if some of the reflecting that you do on, on this topic and experiences in your life is a little bit difficult, join the club. You know, because uh, th- this is a very powerful dynamic that we're talking about in terms of these communities of caring and sometimes it's the impact of trying to close off your common sense of commonality and uniqueness is very, very direct and kind of in your face. Mm-hmm. Other times it's this insidious drip by drip, mm-hmm. day by day, kind of wearing away at you think that it, that it will do. Yes. So if our communities dilute our sense of our individual uniqueness, they dilute it 5%, 4%, 3%, 20%, whatever or they influence exclusion and disconnection from other people or other groups of people. We're like this. They're not. Yeah. We and they. We and they, us and them. Then they are a negative reinforcement of the common uniqueness ideal that we're talking about here. So let's talk about some of the problems that get created with that negative reinforcement for all of us when it occurs. So what if I join a group that leaves other types of people out? Oh, have we, have we ever had that happen? Or have we ever had the invitation sure. to those kinds of groups to have that happen? I don't know, Lee, like maybe our whole life? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it, it, think back to your childhood. And it seems attractive to join that group, right? Hey, I have common interests and experiences with them. And we don't often think about who we're excluding when we join a group like that. Yeah. What is being said about we are this way, they are different. Mm-hmm. And those kind of statements of we're this way, they're different, us and them, there's no statement in there about you individually. You're now getting sucked into this group and there's some kind of common element that you have, but you're strikingly different Exactly from everybody else. There's now a tribal identity that's bigger than your own unique individual identity. And what we're postulating here is that those situations should be questioned mm-hmm. and they should be resisted. Now, that may be a scary thought where it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's a bit counterintuitive, right? Yeah, I'm wanting to belong to these groups. Well, part of what we're saying is if you're going to join a group, you really have to insist as part of your involvement that I'm not going to dilute myself here. I'm not, I'm not going to hold back on me being real mm-hmm. and my whole self. And I'm also not going to be a part of an effort to exclude other groups of people or label other groups of people as being different or even worse, bad. Yeah, or less than. Less than. Okay. Suppose I join any group that directly, or perhaps kind of in an unspoken, indirect way, asks me to be less than my true and best self. Uh, You know, uh, how, how many of us have had situations where we joined a group and lots of times these are in work settings or corporate settings or, or just all sorts of things. And there's skills and knowledge that you have, that you know you have, and experiences that you have that can be brought to bear for the good of what you think you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And you start sharing some of those and you get the reaction of kind of like, thanks, but just yeah, keep li- that to yourself. Keep that to yourself. And, oh, that doesn't really fit here. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, if you want to fit here, these are the only parts of yourself that we really want to have you contribute. Mm-hmm. We really don't want the rest of you. Right. Okay. And oh, by the way, there are some parts of the rest of you. Don't just leave them at the door, but we want you to change them mm-hmm. because right. they don't fit. Have any of us had that experience happen? Yeah, ab- <laughs> you know? absolutely. Some of these, if it's, if you want to think about your adult life that way and, and reflect that way, if you want to go back to childhood experiences, either or. Because it happens throughout our life that we receive these invitations. Well, I think what's challenging and difficult, Dave, here is that in most instances, this is very insidious. It's very drip, drip, drip. Yeah. It's not explicit. It's not overt. It's not obvious. Yeah. We have to be very vigilant for it. Yeah. Do, does anybody ever say what I just said? Yeah. Hey, those w- other w- parts of yourself, just forget it. Just leave those. No, yeah. Have no. you ever been in a corporate meeting or an organizational meeting where someone said, don't bring that to the table? No, that doesn't happen. No. But you do get the message. You get the message. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'd say that any group that may submerge or dilute any part of my imagination or my creativity, I need to be sensitive and aware of that and alert to that. And we, we liked it. One way we like thinking of this is think about whether or not any, any of those invitations or any of those dynamics that you have with, with groups that you're in, if you're basically asked to leave either your head or your heart at the door. Right. If somebody's saying, cut off your heart, we don't want we don't want a lot of uh, of heart stuff here, or we don't want you to be using your mind. That's that's a pretty good indicator, mm-hmm. you know. So you know, and and Lee had the what I loved is the five stages that he talked about with the with the tribes example. Uh, also, if you're obviously asked to join any group that that directly or indirectly denigrates other people, ridicules other people, 
abuses other people in any way or is unkind. I mean, you're, you're, you are absolutely cutting your uniqueness off mm-hmm. and you're cutting off, you know, your sense of commonality with other people at the knees. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if this common uniqueness ideal rings true with you, we recommend reflecting now and in the coming days on the impact of your communities of caring on your sense of common uniqueness. Or think about it this way, we're the same and we're unique. This is really a very critical question. Are your communities of caring a positive or a negative reinforcement for your individual uniqueness and with your commonality with all other people? And we would ask you to reflect. Uh, obviously, you'll go back, I think, and look at your past and experiences, groups you've been in, et cetera. We're, we're where we are right now, and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, think about the groups and communities that you're in now and really put them through this lens mm-hmm. and see whether or not they are reinforcing the wonderful aspects of your individuality that are unique to you whether they give those flight and license, and then think about whether or not there's any aspect in which they attempt to cut you off from connection to the globe, to to humanity everywhere. Uh, We each should periodically do that reflection, okay? And we'll find that it's time well spent. We're not asking you all to do anything that we're not asking ourselves to do. We think it's important. It helps ensure balance and positive reinforcement for our individuality and for our connection to the world at large. Now, talking about this and talking about doing that reflection and then taking action to change because a group may not be recognizing your full individuality or it may feel like they are trying to cut you off from other parts of the global community or the human community, that can be scary, right? And and requires bravery to go ahead and say, I need to make a change here. I'm not getting my individuality reinforced, and I feel like I'm getting cut off by this group involvement to some degree. I need to take a stand. And lots of times that's what gets the ball rolling in terms of influence and change is one person Mm -hmm. taking a bit of a stand. Absolutely. So the fear here, the F word, fear, (laughs) is to isolate myself. Ooh, what if I begin to withdraw from some of these communities of which I've been a part, but on reflection, I'm feeling maybe yeah. they're, not in, they're not inviting my whole self to that community. Yeah. The fear is to isolate myself. Yeah. Well, that's fearful. And there's also great power that you possess as an individual, oh, individual yeah. uniqueness. Dave, we've talked about Gandhi. We've talked about numerous examples throughout right. this podcast series of an individual dropping that pebble of change into the pond and the ripples go from there. And think about all those situations in life that I think all of us have had where we've witnessed somebody taking a brave stand, being the one that says, this isn't right. We need to do this different. Usually there's all sorts of people waiting in the wings that want to say that too. Right. So a new community is formed. They're waiting to do that. Lee, this reminds me of the uh, wonderful movie, 12 Angry Men, mm-hmm. that basically looks at a jury and one person basically starts the ball rolling of proclaiming somebody's innocence or at least d- reasonable doubt around that. And ultimately all 12 join in. So in doing this, this is why this is such an important topic. It has a huge impact on our lives. We understand that a lot of the acts around this can require some courage. Absolutely. You are up to it. 
Okay, yeah. this it's because all you're doing is reflecting who you really are. There's power in your individual uniqueness. And we believe in you. All right. This is a critical topic in our mind, and we have more to talk about with it. So we'll have another podcast just to follow uh, that will talk some more about this topic. Lee, I believe that's it for today. That's it. Reflect. Stay well. Thank you. Thank you for joining our podcast today. For more information about Pictures Out There products, services, and communities, or to contact us, please visit us at picturesoutthere.com or reach out to us on Twitter at the handle at pixoutthere. You can also find us on Facebook. Please join us for our next podcast. We hope you have the day of your dreams.